Welcome to a special episode of the Workforce Rx podcast. Von Tone Quinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health and host of the show, is also author of the new best-selling book, Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times. This episode takes you to one of several live panel sessions held to celebrate the launch of the book. Vaughn welcomes some of the nation's leading workforce development experts to discuss what strategies and insights from chapters one and two resonated most with them and what they would do differently after reading the book. Check out this insightful discussion about matching people with the right skills at the right time, regionalization of higher education, aggregating the demand for labor, and much more from this powerful new playbook for the future of work. Joining Vaughn are Ophelia Basgal, Chair of the Board of Trustees of the San Francisco Foundation, Anne Rendazzo, Retired Executive Director of the Center for Energy Workforce Development, Brenda Curiel, Managing Director of the Center for Corporate Innovation, Beth Colbert, Chief Operating Officer of the Markle Foundation, Tom Cajeno, Principal of Applied Learning Science, David Gatewood, the Dean of Shasta College, and Deborah Nankoville, Chief Executive Officer of the Fresno Business Council. And now, here's Vaughn. Hello, everybody. I am delighted to have your company today at this book launch. It is a celebratory moment, and we are joined with a number of uh, very special guests to me. So um, I'm looking forward to introducing them in a few minutes. I have a new found appreciation for what it takes to write a book now that I've gone through it once, and I hope others of you will try out that journey. I want to take a moment to call out the Futuro Health team who have been uh, sponsoring these events. Uh, the proceeds from the books are donated to Futuro Health's nonprofit mission, which is to increase the health and wealth of communities by growing the largest network of allied health workers in the nation, starting in California. As you all know, especially with the pandemic uh, made to light, uh, it's so important to have these frontline healthcare workers in place as we all need them. So now let me go ahead and transition into the book itself, Workforce Rx. Some folks ask me, why have I written this book and why this book now? And the answer is the numbers. 8.4 million unemployed and 10 million job openings. The pandemic has really wreaked havoc on our labor market, which already was in turmoil beforehand. You know, workers can't find jobs. Employers can't find workers. Really, we need our nation to have all our engines revving to connect people with the right skills for the right jobs, connecting people with the right skills for the right jobs. And there's no more perfect time to get these workforce development strategies and these proven playbooks out since we do not need to start from scratch and we can be working together in collaborative ways to build upon each other's good works. This is a moment in time when I'll borrow a phrase from a, a former colleagues where you don't want to post and pray that there's a talent pool on the other end. And so there are many, many strategies that are proven that can be employed in order to ensure that you have the talent pool when you make that job posting. We have a star-studded group of panelists here. They're all friends and colleagues from, from many, many years. I've asked them to come together and answer two questions. So the first one is a fun question, which is what keyword would you use to find this book on Amazon or on Google or on Barnes and Noble? And then immediately go into the substantive question, which is what insight, story, or strategy resonated most with you? And let us know why. 
Ophelia Bascal uh, was heading up the PG&E Foundation. Back when I first met her, she was always uh, very committed to the community and actually co-sponsored my work uh, that became the PG&E Power Pathway Program. Uh, Anne Randazzo knows the Power Pathway Program because she led the industry, the energy industry's effort to thwart sort of the 20 to 50% um, retirement that was impending and actually brought all the utilities to work together to be much more intentional about workforce development. So uh, I was a part of her membership in that body of work. So I'm so excited to have her back. Uh, Brenda Curio, she is with the Center for Corporate Innovation and is working with uh, leaders right now who are on the front lines of dealing with these issues. And so it's delightful to have Brenda here uh, with us. Beth Colbert, if you um, think about Ecosystems of the Willing, she is running one of those with the Marco Rework Alliance of which Futura Health participates. Um, and so just doing that national work to bring people into uh, good jobs. Uh, Tom Coheno and I met back at the energy sector where he was a, a counterpart in a different utility company, but we did work together as part of a partnership collaboration. Um, and has gone on to open up a company in uh, applied learning, where he's a subject matter expert in, in applied learning science. David Gatewood, you saw his name in the book because he encouraged me as a, uh, while he was a dean within our community college system to have courageous conversations uh, that laid the groundwork for a much bigger education reform. And last but not least is Deb Nankavell, who's patching in from uh, Minnesota, although she's a part of the Fresno Business Council here in California. She is first and foremost a civic steward in the work that she does and uh, teaches me so much about civic stewardship. So with that, let me uh, throw it over to Ophelia to begin. Thank you, Vaughn, and thank you for inviting me to join this great panel. So um, my key words is uh, leveraging public higher education. I think that's what, where you could find this book. And the story that resonated with me was actually the journey that Vaughn described at PG&E when she set up Power Pathway. We were on that journey together, as she noted, and um, I have to say I got to observe firsthand the skepticism, not only with the potential partners, but within PG&E itself. And one story that just resonated with me because it was kind of thing, it was so obvious and it took Bond to figure this out, is asking people to climb a ladder before they became a utility worker. Now, that may have seemed like an obvious thing if you have to climb a 30-foot pole that you might not want to have people who are afraid of heights, but PG&E actually had people going to training and going partway through training and then finding out they couldn't climb a utility pole because they were afraid of heights. And it particularly resonated for me because I worked with a nonprofit, Grid Alternatives, who also was a partner at PG&E at a um, community build that they were doing in Washington, D.C. with the EPA administrator and the secretary of HUD when I was with the Obama administration. And they were doing a community build of solar installation and had individuals that they had recruited. And we were all getting up ready to get on the roof. And the young man right in front of me went four rungs up the ladder and he turned around and he looked at me and he said, I can't do this. And I said, come back down. You know, we'll work on this later. But I thought... If only they had known that they should have tested people ahead of time to make sure that they could climb a ladder if they were going to become a solar installer. And hopefully this young man was worked with with his community group to be able to address the fact that he had a fear of heights, which maybe he'd be able to overcome at some point. 
But Vaughn's ability to sort of zero in on the kinds of issues that she recounts in this book to demonstrate what it takes to provide opportunities to employment for individuals, and particularly if you're working in with the underserved communities, I think was just really brilliant. And um, the success of the Power Pathway program really demonstrated that. So Vaughn, it was such a pleasure to work with you then and to be able to come back and say what a great job you did and what vision you've had around this issue. Thank you. Thank you, Ophelia, for your sponsorship back then and your continued friendship. Next, let me uh, turn it over to Anne. Thanks, Vaughn. Um, I would say talent pipeline for the keyword, how to look this up. And when I picked up the book, the thing that struck me was that garden hose and fire hose kind of image. Um, we've spent a lot of time talking about balancing supply and demand. And that really was a good visual for me in terms of what we deal with. Sometimes the supply is greater, than the demand and sometimes the demand is greater. So, so what we learned early on and some of this from that Power Pathways work um, is that if the supply is greater than uh, companies can hire at a particular time or if the demand is greater than what educators are prepared to produce in terms of a qualified pipeline, then what happens is programs shut down are the companies look elsewhere or students are disappointed, they're frustrated with the whole system. So how do you fix it? I think you laid out that uh, very well. You talk a lot about collaboration and that really is the key, um, but it has to start before the demand is immediate, before it's a current demand. And I think that's one of the, one of the lessons learned is you can't wait until you need it today because this all takes time. It has to start before that time. Um, it's, it's just too late at some point to, to get going. So the way you balance that supply and demand is you start early to what we call buddy up, meaning that um, companies need to partner with others that they might consider to be competitors. Demand isn't always steady. And it doesn't always happen at the same time as graduation. So companies need to get together to be able to aggregate that demand and, and to decide as a group, here's how many we need in total. Here's about when we're gonna need them. That way I might need to hire some this time. You need to hire some the next. But overall, what we're able to do is to balance that supply from education with the demand. The other part of that is that if you have a demand, it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody needs to create a program. And that's tough too, because educators are also competitors in a lot of this, as, as you laid out so clearly. So figuring out where is that demand and what are the community colleges or others that are located in the best spot to be able to meet that demand. And that all happens when you form consortia or collaborations, meaning you get the people in the room that can make this happen, industry, educators, nonprofits, community organizations, whoever, all the people that can build that knowledge and trust so that over time you make this happen. So what we found is that you can, you can focus and build in a particular point in time, but if you have these consortia, like Vaughn talked about with the hiring consortia and with uh, state, we call them state energy workforce consortia. 
then what you what you have is the ability to change as the needs change over time you've got that partnership you've got the trust and the knowledge to be able to do it that's when you get the right skills at the right time uh, we used to say collaborate in the classroom compete on the grid that's the way you build a sustainable talent pipeline i'm sure the audience can tell how much you've been in the trenches thank you Anne, for sharing those insights uh, next let me invite brenda Terrific. Thanks, uh, Vaughn and, and the others that have spoken before me. Uh, my keywords are this is a pragmatic playbook for building the workforce that we need. And the insights for me um, build on what Anne was saying about the stakeholders and consortia, that multiple stakeholders are required to work together to build the workforce that we want, such as the community colleges, the employers, the consortium of employers government policymakers and incentive granters, trusted advocates deep in communities with future workers like the churches, the athletic organizations, trade associations, unions, all being key parts of a solution. That was a, a real insight for me. Even vendors to be an active part of the solution when the skills or knowledge are burgeoning. For example, the story that Vaughn told of the CHRO who was trying to figure out how to build cloud engineers. I was in that room when we had that discussion and the vendor college workplace venture created a required skills gap certification for those current engineers that at the time they thought they would have to let those engineers go and hire cloud engineers who were very hard to find and very, very expensive. And Vaughn's like, how would you think about this instead? Uh, created a whole new program and uh, saved a lot of careers and, and money. It was interesting to me as well that employers may not have enough jobs individually to create the change um, that a community college curriculum might need to do, but by creating these regional consortiums, they can actually build a skills, jobs, education, talent pool for the future. And that motivated, hardworking, ambitious students who could be our workforce may only know about those crowded or often low paying jobs that exist in maybe social work or criminal justice. So uh, the other side of that equation that sometimes our job postings maybe in an attempt to be creative or differentiated might not make any sense to a potential student or a curriculum developer. Um, and that we might need then a standard nomenclature or a way of describing the jobs and its elemental parts that would make these skills more relatable and accessible. This multi-stakeholder approach resonates and Vaughn makes it accessible by laying this out in a pragmatic playbook to identify and solve these challenges ahead. Thank you, Brenda, especially for sharing what happened to the uh, CHRO who was in the room that day. Thank you. Uh, next is Beth. Beth, you know consortiums quite well. Let me turn it uh, over to you. Great. Um, so the words I have first to, to give you the keyword choice are um, practical policies for work that work. Um, and I want to emphasize the practical policies, which um, from my experience is not two words that sometimes don't quite align despite best, best attempts. And what I really enjoyed about the book was how focused it was. And, and by the way, the chapter summaries were great about what someone can do to get things done. Um, beyond the story of one, a big one in the candy store, which tugs at my heart, um, the one that tugged at my head was the story about um, bringing resources together across community colleges to create uh, solutions to the problems at hand um, in chapter two. Um, from our experience at the Rework America Alliance and even here in Colorado, um, we've seen what happened when groups of employers come together with community colleges who are looking to meet the needs of their community with the workforce boards. Um, one of the things that I felt we were trying to follow uh, 
band's guidance in advance was some work that we had done to build a new, a wholly new apprenticeship program for um, community managers um, in the real estate industry. So that brought together the Arapahoe Community College campus, the Community Association, Rocky Mountain chapter, the local workforce boards, and the whole community college system in Colorado say, how can we create something here? Because we know this is needed everywhere. And none of these institutions could do this all on their own. But if one person can do it, they can build the core. You might need to adapt it a little bit someplace else, but many of those elements are common. And I think finding ways, as you talk about in the book, Vaughn, about getting employers and education institutions to say, how do we close these gaps that exist? How do we create the real opportunities for students, not just for their first job, but for the second job and the jobs they can follow? And how do we do that in a way that it isn't one time? Because if you bring everybody together, create something today, that cloud engineer you described is gonna need something different tomorrow. So one of the things that was great about this process and follows the principles of the book is that it wasn't just the one time, it was the ongoing dialogue. So I think building those forms of collaboration for the jobs that are in demand in ways that individuals can get that early job and the next job and the next job are one of the lessons I really took away from chapters one and two. Absolutely. And you're doing so much good work in, in the Marco Rework Alliance to build that type of relationship and, and trust between organizations so that this can be done um, one time, but also repeatedly. Uh, so let me bring up Tom, Tom Coheno. Um, you've seen this from the private sector, but also the public sector. What do you think? Indeed. And I would say uh, my key words are elevated workforce collaboration in the national interests. Which I, which I think is exactly what we need. And that's how I need to be thinking about things in, in the US today. The concepts that jumped out at me in the book were the ecosystem of the willing and you know, uh, contributing beyond our own interests. And uh, I was working at Southern California Edison and the CEO of Edison received a letter from PG&E requesting collaboration, which was unheard of. And undoubtedly a letter written by Vaughn and um, manipulated or uh, uh, encouraged through CEO to CEO. And I was uh, pleased to be tapped at Edison to, to work with Vaughn and started an incredible long-term friendship and collaboration for which I'm, I'm genuinely grateful. And um, at that point, the two utilities were like on different sides, not only of the state, but of the of a big divide. We just didn't do that. So it was our own little example of, of, you know, following sort of the precepts that Vaughn shared. And we started meeting. And at first I thought, well, I'm not sure how we're going to work on a line worker when we have thousands of applicants for every vacancy, you know, or, or thousands for every, for every few. And, you know, it, and it turned out that we had many applicants, but we had no diverse applicants. And we also had a lack of geographical preference where in Los Angeles is quite costly is sort of inner city on the western side and no one wanted to work there and, and getting people to who live there and work there organically just didn't exist we weren't recruiting there so it was a real eye-opener and sort of a humbling realization for us at Edison and we ended up partnering with something called the East LA Skill Center um, that was absolutely a part of the effort that Vaughn was leading us on in the center and Anne uh, through the consortia. Thank you both. And um, it worked out to be a great partnership because East LA Skills Center, just as, as Vaughn mentioned in the book, was able to do the outreach and the screening 
And the case manager took that away from the company, which was sort of stuck in its maybe to some degree, you know, a nepotistic sort of uh, hiring practice and, and broke that open. And they also provided education in part. And the partnership came because Edison contributed skilled instructors, vehicles, poles, all this highly specialized equipment that's very costly. And that partnership worked, you know, very effectively. And in that case, Edison was contributing beyond its own interests because the graduates could go to work for any utility. They could go out of state. So, but nonetheless, for Edison, that became almost our single source of hiring because it checked so many boxes and it worked out to be a huge advantage. So the result was diversity uh, increased in our applicant pool, as well as the geographical preference. And then in a way that we had not anticipated, it also, um, this pre-apprentice program resulted in increased throughput in the actual apprentice program because all of the climbing that occurred at East LA Skill Center sort of weeded out those folks who not only just didn't climb the ladder at first uh, to Ophelia's point, but it was, you're gonna climb the pole over and over and over and over every day. And some folks decided that's just not in my future. And so the attrition rate dropped dramatically in Edison, probably saving the money that we were investing. So in the end, everyone, everyone won, as, as far as I can tell. And as I was reading this particular chapter in the book, I started smiling, thinking about all the meetings and stuff that we did and how it all came together. So um, I remain excited to see the path that Vaughn is on. I think, you know, the nation needs this and I'm excited to be here and uh, share that today. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. I, I love how you recounted when we first met. It was uh, actually on the point of people do watch the flow of the money. I was given a challenge that the community colleges would be willing to create a common curriculum, but all the utilities in the state needed to agree on what was created. And that was the catalyst for reaching out to people whom I didn't know, including, including Tom. And of course I called Ann up and I said, uh, we need a charter for our new consortium. Can I just borrow one from another state? And that's the value of, of being connected into um, this type of work with others. All right, David Gatewood. Thanks, Vaughn. And I think I'm going to be echoing a lot of the sentiments and, and smiles that have been on the, the screen so far. But I, too, was looking at the second chapter about forming an ecosystem of the willing. And Tom's story and other Ophelia's stories and other stories remind me that that model of, of forming an ecosystem of the willing fits no matter who you are. If you are a group of faculty who have an automotive program that are looking at electric vehicles and you get them together, you were really good about bringing those sectors together and forming an ecosystem of the willing, in this case, the willing instructors. But it might be also be the PGEs and the SoCal Edisons and the other, the willing business partners, and then the willing not-for-profit and government and agencies that we were working with. So what I love about this notion of forming an ecosystem of the willing, it meant so many things for you, and you actually braided those willing bodies together to create what I would call a macro ecosystem. Um, in terms of keywords, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to take one that most of my community college friends appreciate, understand, and that is doing what matters, uh, doing what matters for jobs in the economy. So if you want to, I mean, if I were searching, I'd probably look doing what matters for jobs in the economy and hope that I find this wonderful book. Um, the other piece I think 
is that there's a really about change, uh, you know, critical conversations for workforce development, which is particularly what the second chapter is about, has to do with bringing and forming those coalitions and those ecosystems. I have so many stories, Vaughn, of, of, you know, how you went about that, but I think some of the most interesting pieces from you um, are around where you showed up, having been in the state for a number of years, wasn't used to seeing state officers in a, in a highly federated, you know, disaggregated 113 colleges at the time, 116 now, show up at these various locations. And I can remember, you know, going to my first red team meeting that you described and uh, seeing people in the room that were not always the same people that I used to see, but many of my friends were there. I mean, these were innovators, but the model for bringing the willing together was clearly a change in how we were normally bringing together the representative. There are 113 colleges. We have so many deans. We bring these individuals together because they represent something, many of them defensively, many of them kind of shyly looking on. But what you did with the red team and with many of the people who you brought in were the willing. And I think that's so important. And it's what has made your work so powerful and this book so helpful. Um, so the red teams, you know, people were there who were willing as you launched the sector work and you said, you know, choose which sectors work for your region in the seven regions, choose, you know, who's willing, what, who are you willing to work with? Who are you willing, where are those willing needs? Um, and that also struck me as, as being different than the normal way that we do business or have been doing business. Um, a lot of people, I don't know if they all realize just how disaggregated we are and in, in, in independent as 116 different colleges, 72, 73 districts. Uh, the, the challenge is that, as you said, you, you have very little hierarchical authority over that. And so the question was, how do you lead change? And I think that it's been mentioned that you did it with head, you did it with heart, and you did it with hands. You did it with a vision that you took out to everybody. You, and we, we worked with you to develop that vision. You listened, you did your critical thinking and your critical listening tour, gathered information to create that solidified vision of what it would take to help meet the needs of the state in terms of economic development. And then you also brought your, you know, your heart to the table. Who are the willing? Who will join me? You know, what, what are the things that are important? Who's already doing good work? Who, you know, who do we tap into? And then, so the heart, the head, and the hands, the hands being the resources. And that was your braided funding strategies, bringing in all sorts of different ways to look at how we could support these initiatives instead of, as you call it, spreading peanut butter thinly at every college level on every single career ed program. You know, where can we, where can we bring it together and, and make a difference? For years, I was in the Inland Empire down in uh, Chafee College. And when that initiative for the Intech Center started with uh, the federal tax grant, that was an amazing project. Many colleges and universities got involved and are still involved. And that had not happened before. So that was, that was one example of just how important the willing with the change strategy that you used has made such a huge difference in how we've silo spanned or broken down some of the barriers between our individual colleges. Um, not that we don't have a long ways to go, but I found that the book was very inspiring and we need to keep on doing the good work that you laid the groundwork for. So thank you. Thank you for taking me down memory lane, David. <laughs> 
And before I tee up uh, Deb Nankerville, we're, we're doing such a good job on time. I'm just going to preview for all of our guests. We're going to do a sort of a lightning one minute round where I'm going to ask you, you know, would you do anything differently now that you've had a chance to look at the content of the book? And we'll, we'll start with Ophelia again. But right now, I'd like to invite Deb Nankerville. Wow, this has been so insightful. I appreciate everybody's comments. Thank you, Vaughn. Um, I reread the chapters last night, so I would be re-inspired and thinking about the connecting links here and what springs to mind in terms of the words for me, ecosystem approach, which is something we talk about a lot, this idea if you don't address all of it, you could be leaving out a key piece and have a flat tire on your car. And the other piece is spirit of stewardship. I think what we've learned, what I've watched Vaughn do, if you do not have a steward that's leading, the, who can call out the very best of who people are and to help people remember that we have a larger purpose in our country. We have North Star goals. And so the most inspiring story in the book for me was Vaughn's. The idea, and you may have noticed on the page which you talked about being a refugee, same page she talked about being an immigrant. To me, that is the journey of change that happens in our country. Whether you're a refugee who's looking at the past, being wounded, leaving something you, want, you didn't wanna leave, and then you become an immigrant and you look forward and you see the opportunity and you move forward and others support you in doing that. Another way to frame that, and this is something we're working on very seriously in Fresno, is a lot of people have severe unresolved trauma. They were victimized, exploited. How do you shift people coming from those backgrounds into confident, life-ready citizens? And what I so appreciate about this book is Vaughn's able to combine so many different elements into a path forward. Where we're used to having the lead in Fresno with a compass aimed at North Star goals, she's now given us the map. And that's what everyone that we talked about this book, what they're saying. And it's not just a map for people with lives where they were raised with love and support, but also people that didn't have that. Because I think to develop confidence when you didn't get it at home is another step we all need to take in our country. And I think we've all realized that there are a lot of people that were left out and some of them were even successful, but they still feel left out. And so I think we're in a phase in America where the business community is transforming itself into a human development, talent development ecosystem in partnership with our educators who know how to do that. Now we all need to do both and. We need to learn how to get it done, and we need to know how to be inclusive and supportive of others. So I celebrate this book. I'm thrilled about the people that I've met on this journey, and so grateful to Vaughn, who was a catalytic force when we started on this journey, and we got to be one of her town hall meetings, and we've never stopped moving forward. So onward. Yes, I remember Deb telling me that uh, when the chancellor's office had reached out initially to ask for a town hall by our business partners, Deb had to make some calls and and really she asked the question, "Well, am I should I should I spend time on this?" And and what what answer did you get back, Deb? No, this too shall pass. And I said, <laughs> "Too late. We're already all in." <laughs> Oh, thank you. All right. So let's go through our lightning round. Let's start with Ophelia. 
So, um, Vaughn, I think there's another book that you need to be working on, and that is, we're at such a pivotal moment. I mean, everyone's referring to this moment in work as the great reassessment about where people want to work and when they want to work and all the issues that are being raised up that weren't really issues before the pandemic, such as a safe working environment and people looking for work that gives them purpose and advancement opportunities. So, you know, wonderful strategies outlined here now just needs to be expanded to take into account, you know, this sort of strange time that we're living in and how it's impacted work and, um, you know, where this goes in terms of the ecosystems that you've described and how do you build in this new attitude about work into this. So that's my one minute lightning round. I love it. I love it. And. So for me, it's um, looking more at what do we all have in common. We spent a lot of time um, in the early days looking at kind of generic blueprints and then uh, different states kind of would pick and choose, different companies would pick and choose, well, we'd like to do this, but we're different, so we're going to build our own on that. And I think when you, you know, just looking back, if you spend more time on what everybody has in common, and then, and then you can build on that. And you don't, you don't waste a lot of time starting from scratch. Um, the, the example of the line worker is a great one. How many different line worker curriculum do we have out there? It's all pretty much the same, but how much time have we spent building that, um, doing the things like the pre-employment testing? It's just coming up with a common, let's go with it and not spend time on developing because somebody, might be just a little bit different. That's a great insight. Uh, Brenda. Yes, I, you know, I think I, I still double down on why the playbook is so important and why this point in time is so important. As we look at our roundtables, whether they're in tech or healthcare or energy or industry in the middle of the country, uh, this great resignation that uh, Ophelia talked about or reassessment is on everybody's mind. And there just isn't a sense of the answers. There's confusion around why we have a mismatch and so many people unemployed, but so many open jobs. There's confusion about how to start, how to think about the problem, um, and certainly what to do about it. And I think that this gives a playbook, a pragmatic, practical approach for leaders to start framing the issue for themselves and then thinking about various practical uh, alternatives for starting to look at the problem internally and then how to go about in their communities and within their industries uh, to solve the problem together. Mm. Thank you for those insights. And now Beth. Um, as I reflect on the book and, and the many things in it, there's a lot I would do differently. To me, one of the pieces that is really important is thinking about any of these actions we're taking and putting them in context quite consciously. So whether it's building a new program, getting an employer to think differently about their workforce, how do we think about not just getting it once, but multiple times and scaling it? Who are the partners you need to do that? What's the data you need to do that? So it's almost going in with a mindset that says, with the right people in the room, finding the commonalities, we will have success. But success won't scale and reach enough people unless we build that in from the beginning. And so I think there's a lesson in there um, that's valuable for all of us to think about, you know, how do we, when we get that momentum, really catch it and keep it going? Because then it becomes self-sustaining. Yes, that intentionality is important. Thank you. Tom. 
Um, I think, you know, I would capitalize on the um, events that have happened in the last several years. So I'm really thinking about some, some sort of corporate education about the potency of collaborating in terms of how the nation benefits. I think within a company, people get caught up all the time and not just profit loss, but this activity and that activity and to pull up would require sort of a different sort of approach to be able to appreciate the potency of the collaboration. And uh, so various steps along that line, I think are, are sort of the, the next hurdle and maybe it's, a, it's the next book. It's incorporated in the next book. It becomes a, a, a three hour component of an MBA program. Business for good. <laughs> I think many uh, corporate people are surprised that you could tackle this issue with help from someone else. You don't have to go at it alone. Right. Good point. Uh, David. I'm with Tom and others on this. I, I'm seeing three books. Uh, one of those books is going to be geared towards business and the industry partners and how they can continue to develop relationships with, with educators, whomever they may be, to help provide an upskilled, trained workforce, incumbent worker training, uh, pipeline training, transitional training, all those. I see another one, Vaughn, that um, I jealously or selfishly say California needs a book of our own. Uh, one in terms of just how California Community Colleges, how we continue to, to, to deal with some of the challenges of, for example, how we are resourced, how, we, how we're compensated, and how that affects our competition. You know, I, I tell the story, and you've heard me tell it before, about Disney. When I was in Orange County as a dean, uh, Disney would come once in a while to our, our meetings with employers and help us with some advisory until finally they said, we're not going to do this anymore. And I said, what do you mean? Well, we don't have time. There's 116 community colleges, 26 high schools alone in Orange County, all the universities, and we have the world to entertain, not just your faculty. Can you create a forum or a place where we could go one time and be in front of all the California community colleges talking about our industry needs? And we haven't been able to do that yet. It, you can drive to every community college in California in a car, but you cannot find who's on their work boards. A, an employer would have to set up 116 profiles to be able to find a welder in our state. We've got to address some of those continuing issues, which you're well aware of, and you present them, and you even have great strategies for how we began to, to look at changing some of those things. I'm not done with you yet, Vaughn. We need to keep moving this agenda forward if we're going to help people find meaningful engagement with the business industry partners and feel that as you define it, and we all talk about economic and social mobility. So that's the, that's, I'll follow up, that's, but that's what I'm needing right now. Thank you, David. And then Deb, let's say how it can be done. Oh, there you go, there's a wrap up. Um, what I'm thinking a lot about is scale and customization. How do we hold the tension between these two things? Because my experience in California is a lot of things that need to be flexible are locked down tight and things that need to be uniform are chaos. How do we hold those tensions so that we are always thinking for the big picture, but at the same time, we're honoring the fact that everybody's unique. People have different starting places. We need to respect that. 
Um, but we need to work together. And I, I love David's point. I'm going to follow up with you because I think this idea that industry is going to cater to a whole bunch of people that have separate needs. We tried to get even the list of people serving on advisory boards from our colleges, from our deans, won't give them to it because they're proprietary because they have to compete for all the different people that will play with their game. And you, I mean, it's sort of like it leaves industry with, well, what do we do now? Well, I think Vaughn taught us, get the money, get the power, tell them to show up at your meeting. Mm -hmm. Well, I know this audience is super impressed with this set of pan panelists and their expertise and their lived experience. We ask that you help us spread the word. You remember the big numbers, 10 million and 8.4 million. We need to get these proven strategies and proven playbooks out there. Uh, we have a good head start uh, with this book already making the bestseller list and hot new release uh, list in a number of places on Amazon. Super delighted um, that it's gotten out the door uh, in this way, but would ask your help to be able to get, get these uh, playbooks into other people's hands. We need all the engines revving. And... There's no better gift to an author than um, to have a review from you. And it's quite easy. So anywhere you buy the book, whether it's on Barnes & Noble or Amazon, just go to where the stars are and write a review for the product, add a headline, you know, one or two sentence, and um, press submit. And that's all it takes to uh, submit a review. So my appreciation in advance if you're able to put in a review. Uh, with that, I would like to... Really, really, really express my appreciation to all of the panelists who came here to share in this moment of joy and celebration, uh, which is the launch of this book. It's so wonderful to have um, all these friends and colleagues uh, come together and to also thank everybody in the audience who has joined us this special moment. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Workforce Rx podcast. We hope you'll head to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or other book retailers to purchase your copy of Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times. Proceeds benefit the nonprofit mission of Futuro Health. And we hope you'll join us again on the podcast as we continue to explore how to create a future-focused workforce in America. Music